You're listening to the Donor Growth Podcast, forward-looking conversations for those who believe that donor growth is possible. Every week, we'll explore a thought-provoking topic to help build deeper relationships with more of your donors. We are your hosts, Luis Diaz and Mike Dirksen. Now let's get into it. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Donor Growth Podcast, where Mike Dorksen, leader of Build Good and podcaster extraordinaire, and Luis Diaz get together every week to discuss how to have deeper relationships with more of your donors. I know it sounds like a contradiction, but it, we believe it's possible, and we hope you do too. Every week, we explore a topic related to this big thorny issue, and today we're going to talk about ta-da, donor retention. The topic du jour. As always, um, we have thoughts, and some of them may um, not align with uh, what you read elsewhere. So we hope you stick around, and um, if you're listening to us in a platform that allows you to respond to this, please do send us a note. We'd love to hear from you, have you on the podcast, um, just interact. So hi, Mike. Donor retention. How have you been thinking about this recently, and you know, why is it on your mind? I mean, I've probably got more more questions than thoughts or or any answers. But uh, the thing that I've been I've been I mean, you and I have been thinking about this, which is that we all say that donor retention is this huge issue in our sector. It's like the number one thing plaguing our sector: low donor retention. We hear it over and over again. We beat ourselves up about it. We kind of say if you have low donor retention then it's on you you're not treating your donors well you're doing something wrong um, there are people who work in small shops who are who are achieving like 80 or 90 percent donor retention with a very small file however and so um, we're even talking a lot of the time we're not even comparing apples to apples um, and then there's different organizations that actually have sort of different revenue models that influences that. So overall, I think it's a bit m- more of a nuanced topic or a tricky topic that that maybe we sometimes lead on to believe. Um, but if we let's operate under the assumption that we should be trying to improve donor retention. Mike, can any- I interrupt you there? What do you think is the root issue. So we talk about donor retention as the metric for something, right? That So like, I believe that we're trying to talk about something, but we just don't know how to talk about it. So we end up defaulting to donor retention, which isn't the best possible metric um, to measure. Um, so do you have a do you have a sense of, you know, what is it? Is it loyalty? Is it the mm, life, you know, potential for sustainability for the organization. You know, do you think there's a deeper concept? I mean, it might be a loyalty thing, but the way I think about loyalty is no, it's not like donors being loyal to you, but you being loyal to donors in and to the right donors and to the true believers. So I think maybe what we're thinking about is if we have low donor retention, then we think we're doing something wrong rather than asking ourselves, well, are these even the kinds of donors that most resonate with our mission? Those donors, the ones who are true believers, who really care about what we do, who are the right values fit, right alignment, this stuff actually matters to them a great deal. 
they've joined this not necessarily because of our organization, but because of the mission. Those people, I think we should be, if we have low donor retention there, then absolutely we're doing something wrong. But if we have low donor retention elsewhere, it might just be that we're not for everyone or we're sometimes talking to the wrong people or not everyone cares as much as we do about this. Um, it might also be that we're doing some other things wrong, but but it's a bit of a mix. Um, so what are we getting at when we say donor retention? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we all crave some sort of scorecard to see how we're doing. Yeah. Um, we kind of default to it because it's because it's the easiest thing to measure. I think it's a little bit harder to quantify things like like affinity, although people certainly try. Um, mm-hmm. It's a little bit harder to score things like does this pe- person care enough that even if they skip a year or two of giving because life circumstances change, we're still going to be one of their favorite charities. Um, hmm. that's maybe that's what we're getting at. Yeah, kind of the true believers thing. That that would be that that would be interesting to come up with yeah. a way to measure that. But again, the more complicated you make something, the less likely it is that you'll act on it. So that's why I think at the end of the day, donor retention is a compromise. But I, I just wanted to bring that up because I, I agree with you, right? We we, we we knock ourselves so much and so hard about our donor mm-hmm. retention when sometimes we might be doing pretty good in that, what you were saying, the true believer mm-hmm. department. But you, you have a really good point, which is that it is a compromise, um, I think it's still a useful tool. It is a compromise, but maybe we just need to realize that it is a compromise. So, like, mm-hmm. it, it's a very useful tool as long as we realize that it is a bit of a compromise. Um, but f- for the sake of this episode, let's assume that we are going to focus on the donor retention metric. Knowing okay. that it's a little bit flawed, let's just go with that common assumption that low donor retention equals bad, right? And so, um, if we do that, if if we think that way, like across the board, and that's that's a big if, um, then how come are we not reverse engineering sort of what success looks like, or how come we're not really at least trying to engineer? A solution to the problem because a lot of that isn't even isn't even happening now you and i have talked before we've seen donor files that had poor donor retention and they did everything right to fix it and retention went up but it still didn't go up to like 80 or 90 percent it it went up um (coughs) you know and, and we have to also separate retention in new donor retention and then sort of active donor retention and then overall donor retention, right? So, um, but, but let's, for the new donor retention, it went up from, you know, one out of 10 new donors are sticking with us to two or three out of new donors are sticking with us. That's like three times better. I mean, yeah. You know, also keeping that in perspective. Yeah, it's three times better, and it's still just 30%. And so mm-hmm. people look at that, and they might say, well, that's awful. Well, it's actually really, really good. Um, yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're keeping exactly. three or four sometimes out of needle. That's pretty good. Um, 
And if if you're if you're keeping a lot more than that, maybe you're not aggressive enough in acquisition. Sometimes that can also happen. Um, yeah. But that's a that's a whole different topic. But um, it's the same. Just... Yes. Oh, sorry, sorry. But I know you have a quote about change management, but it's the same with the um, ROI or you know cost to raise a dollar when you look at develop the development operation as a whole. If it's too good, that's not good either, right? Because it means you could be raising more money. Right. Yeah. Maybe a little bit less effectively, but overall, you could be raising much more money. So the same yeah, thing with donor retention. To be clear, we're talking about that in new donor acquisition. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those metrics and all of that changes once you're talking about, you know, um, your true believers, the people you're building really meaningful relationships with. Um, new donor acquisition just tends to be a bit of a different ball game. It's very expensive, and the reason you have to be so aggressive is because retention, because um, response rates and and whatever are often so low that you have to cast a fairly wide net. Which is also part of the problem because you're going to catch a bunch of people who just aren't aren't a right fit. They're just not. They're never going to become an ideal donor because it's just they just don't care about it as much as you do. Um, but th- that's going to skew your your donor retention rates, right? But let's let, let's just assume let's let's assume we're going to use donor retention as the metric. Let's assume that we think it's it's like our donor retention is really bad um then you know peter drucker has this great quote which is like the most effective way to actually like manage change in an organization is to create it um which seems kind of obvious but like the most effective way to manage change in an organization is to actually create change and that requires the abandonment of things that have been shown to be unsuccessful and the organized continuous improvement of every product service and process within the enterprise so that's I'm not, the i'm not sure i agree with with dr drucker i think he's a doctor yeah dr drucker so that's that's his um that's sort of his perspective right so as it relates to donor retention either then i then either we have to ab- abandon the things that are not successful that are unsuccessful or we have to continuously improve and try to make it better. Now, I would I would love to know where you disagree. Well, I believe that once you're that that sounds very good from twenty thousand feet, but once you're actually doing it, it's hard to define you know what works in the context. Some most things work a little bit, or else you know obviously you wouldn't be doing them so they work somewhat or they work for some people um so sometimes abandoning something that seems like it's working a little bit is really hard especially if what you're going toward especially at the beginning doesn't work at all because you're starting to do it so yes eventually it makes a lot of sense oh we stopped doing this and eventually we got to where we're doing this and now we're much better but in the middle of that, you know, it, it's very unclear. It's unclear and it's unmessy. It, it's sorry, it's unclear and it's very messy. And we had this this episode about the power of continuous sort of progress, which is mm-hmm. sticking with something for long enough 
to see the compounding returns, right? And in the beginning, you're not sure, wait, do I just have to stick with this for long enough? Do I have to keep going consistently with this to see any results? Or is this very clearly not working and something I should abandon? Is that what you're talking about? Um, yeah, and also, exactly, yes. No, that's exactly what I'm talking about. In the context of we were already doing this other thing that we had been doing for a long time, so it was fairly optimized. It's just mm -hmm. that we are predicting that it's either not going to work as well or that we're not going to be able to grow it as much. And I think acquisition is the perfect example, right? Yeah. Um, to some extent, it's not working as well as it used to using, you know, exactly the same methods. Yeah. So I mean, I'm over, over, over generalizing, right? But um, <clears throat> in general, most nonprofits that are sending out letters um, in a way that's similar to what they've been doing for the last 20 years are seeing diminishing returns from that. Of course, you're going to oh, say, yeah. well, you're not, you should not be doing it the same way as in the last 20 years. There are tools and you can be smarter and you can be better with the list building, et cetera, and the messaging. But, you know, generalizing that. So, but it's still kind of working. So if you're going to make a change like for donor retention, and that's why we're saying it's very nuanced, um, you're kind of betting that that's on the decline and that this other way, which maybe you haven't figured out perfectly at the beginning is the new way. So that's where I see kind of, you know, the tension with your, with, with, with obviously, um, the very well recognized and you know much savvier and wise wiser person um, that that Peter Drucker was, um, you know, between my experience and and that statement. Yeah, so I think I, I think Peter Drucker would. I, I mean, I I don't pretend to speak for him at all. Like, but like I think he would say, I think he would agree with you because his qualifier is it that change management requires the organized abandonment of things that aren't working mm. and the organized continuous improvement of things that are so the organized qualifier probably means <clears throat> a lot of thought and care has to be put into if is this really unsuccessful or not or is this just something that actually needs organized continuous improvement um and in the example of direct mail acquisition, it might be a little bit of both. It might be, no, this just needs a lot of improvement. And in the medium term, and maybe in the long term, it requires the organized abandonment of this thing while we build this parallel thing that's going to replace it. Um, but Absolutely. but I, think, I think you bring up a great point, which is that you don't really know sometimes what is and what isn't working. Um, and so if... If, if we agree on that, like donor retention, bad, we're not exactly sure what's contributing to it, maybe we have some ideas, then maybe, you know, we go to this other Peter Drucker quote, which everybody quotes, which is what gets measured, gets managed. Um, this gets misused all the time. Uh, I'm pretty sure, Louis, you and I have have debated doing a whole podcast on, on this very same quote and how it gets misused, but um, I think we know what gets measured in, in donor retention. Like we know how to calculate donor retention. We know how to calculate new donor retention. We know how to calculate cohorts of donors and their retention. Maybe that pro maybe that's not the problem. Maybe the problem is who 
gets measured? Like who actually owns donor retention? Yeah, I I talk about that a whole lot. Um, my intuitive answer most of the time is the donor relations shop, if there is one. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't really happen um, in practice. Um, it, what ends up happening is kind of nobody owns it. Um, I don't know if that's what you found. Yeah, either nobody owns it clearly, or it's like, well, the major gift officer owns retention for their portfolio, which nowadays is like sometimes 100 to 150 people in their portfolio. Um, the mid-level donor rep owns portfolio for mid-level donors. The individual giving coordinator owns retention for annual giving. Um, that often happens. And then sort of maybe the most obvious one that often is just like, well, the director of development or the head of fundraising, like they own donor retention. Um, it's it's kind of up to them at the end of the day. Um, I actually disagree with all of those, but I think those are probably some of the common answers. What, what do you see? I think it's it's complicated because if somebody is owning retention for a segment and also owning the dollar and maybe donor goals, um, we all know what's going to end up being prioritized. So at the end of the day, it's going to be, are we meeting our dollar goals? And yeah. then, well, oh yeah, you know, our donor retention went down again, but we met our dollar goals. Okay. You know, thank you. Thank you for your service. It's, you know, <laughs> we, we love you, um, but not the other way around. So... I mean, my opinion is that donor retention, if you interpret it as that development of the true believers, is a metric that should be at the advancement shop level because it's tied to your pipeline and to your long-term mm-hmm. opportunities to grow your revenue. So it's kind of, we're not doing anything different, we're just trying to be a little bit smarter about it because it's more efficient. And that's why we're looking at that, you know? So I would say probably at the development shop, the director of development, vice presidents, chief development officer, whatever it is, um, at the very least, but not necessarily as something that's good in and of itself, because mm-hmm. maybe we're going to talk later about how you can build different models of fundraising that don't rely so much on donor retention, but because you just think it's a cost-effective way to be really successful in three years, right? You're building those true that base of true believers, and you're going to be able to fundraise from them eventually. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that makes sense. I. I want to explore a bit of a different perspective and then you can you can tell me that I'm wrong. Um, I think one of the things that bothers me about donor retention is that it's a lagging sort of metric. It is always looking at, by the time you notice that retention goes down or up, it's just a reflection of something you've done previously. So um, by the time you notice we're losing a lot of donors, well maybe that started 18 months ago or 12 months ago. You're just now noticing it. Um, And so I actually 
don't think advancement shops should own donor retention completely, and I'll tell you why. If you think about all the reasons that a donor gets involved with an organization and makes a financial gift, there's a lot of them. Um, it lines up with their values. It creates some sort of something in the world they're excited about, some sort of impact. Impact is a fuzzy, vague word, but it creates some sort of meaningful thing in the world that they're excited about or that matters to them or that is important to them. It has some sort of personal meaning sometimes. They are engaged. They feel listened to. Sometimes in membership organizations, they feel like they have found an in-group. Sometimes they feel listened to. Sometimes they, they, there's benefits. Um, you know, we had a uh, ranger on last podcast talking about membership and the benefits that they get, which is actually a discount at some stores. Um, sometimes they just feel like it's the right thing to do. Sometimes it's a religious semi-obligation or an expectation. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they get a lot of emotional benefits out of it. Um, and, and like... 999 other reasons that we can't necessarily always quantify. So can an annual giving person really, truly own all of that in their retention? Can a major gifts officer really, truly own all of that? Um, can a grant writer really own retention of foundation funding or government funding? Because they can be doing, all of those people can be doing everything right but the mission or the product or the service or whatever this organization is doing in the world changes or no longer excites the donor. or And, and then the fundraiser can't do anything about that. They're just, you know, they're just building relationships as best as they can. And so I don't think that we should put the donor retention responsibility completely on the people who can't necessarily influence all of those factors. Um, so I, I, I just think we need to maybe think about that a little bit more. And again, I don't know that I have a clear answer. Um, but my, my, my first sort of thought is I don't think that we can expect these people to own this thing completely. Yeah, I, I, I do get that. And we were talking earlier, uh, you and I, Mike, about how that's kind of the product, right? That people are buying in, not buying, but they're giving to be involved with the product, the story. If the product, the story, the reputation is bad or is declining for whatever reason, not necessarily because of something that was done wrong, but maybe the societal pressures, etc. But if that's declining, you're going to see worse metrics. And probably retention is going to be the first one where you see it. Um, even though it's a lagging indicator, you, you know the dollar revenue is going to take a, a while longer to to show that weakness uh, because you're still going to have those true believers and you're going to be somewhat insulated from that. Um, but counter argument, that's a little bit like every function at a nonprofit, really. So yes, the ultimate kind of vision and responsibility for whatever the external perception of the nonprofit is, is at the CEO or the executive director level. But that's also like saying that marketing is the CEO, you know, depends on a whole lot of things that the marketing function itself can't control. 
um, or the program, uh, because if the CEO is doing their job, then you know program uh, program level staff will probably be in a much better position to the, to do theirs, right? So I think there's always that balance. I think every functional expert wants a CEO that really gets their area. Yeah, and I've heard that forever. Uh, and it's much easier, right? If you're in a startup and the startup founder it has a huge online presence and is charismatic and is out there, then of course the VP of marketing is going to look great. They're going to look like a magician. Yeah. And the the opposite will happen, right? So if if you're in a nonprofit and you're you're run by your founder, maybe who is charismatic, or you have a CEO that has a presence, is a very well recognized thought leader, and is also not afraid of talking about the the needs and you know all that other stuff and to connect with people etc uh, so yes your donor retention will go up um supposedly right so it sounds like maybe what we're saying is that the executive team as a whole should at least partly own donor retention or am i putting words in your mouth here well let, let's explore something else which is the feedback loop Mm -hmm. So I think that, yes, they should be looking at donor retention, what happened as a maybe a dashboard metric, um, maybe in addition to dollars raised. Right. Um, but we often have very long feedback cycles for that donor retention. So it's not only that it's going to take that what you're doing now is going to take 12, 18 months to start showing in the behavior of your donors. But on top of that, we calculate it maybe once a year. It's a number that we just look at once a year. And it's a little bit like when you're driving and cars that now have miles per gallon or uh, for our decimal system listeners, kilometers per liter, you know, and you have like an efficiency. If you just got a number after each of your rides, you know, okay, you, you, you drove here and you drove back 500 kilometers, 300 miles. Uh, this was your your average miles. These were your average miles per gallon. That's less effective in impacting your behavior when you're driving than if you see the little bobble going up and down. Oh, I'm pressing on the gas too hard, and now I have to, you know. So everything we can do to shorten that feedback cycle and probably have the executive team be aware of that. So like, if there was a metric, money is a really good metric in that sense. You can see it by the second how much money is in the bank. And people are reporting on it all the time, and they're they're requesting updates on it, you know, and it's practically instantaneous. But then donor retention, which we're saying is important, you just get that one number once a year, and it's really hard to parse out what you did, what you didn't do, and yeah. too messy to to act on. Right, which is which is my issue with it that it's a lagging indicator. And which is which is why I don't want the frontline people to necessarily own it. I think what the frontline people, the advancement shop, the fundraiser should own is all the leading indicators. So um, there's a whole bunch of leading indicators that we can talk about. Whether they're mm -hmm. effective or not is a whole different podcast. But um, for major gifts, um, leading indicators are, yeah, how many meetings are you setting? How 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 many touch points are you? How many? How quickly are you getting in touch with them for annual giving? It's often like how quick how quick are you to thank them? Uh, do you report back on every single gift? Like there's all these different leading indicators that we know will increase donor retention, mm -hmm. and I think that 
those, I think the, the advancement shop or the fundraising shop, whatever, should own. And I'm more inclined to say that donor retention as a whole is more of a leadership issue and less of a fundraising issue. Because, you know, show me your calendar and show me your wallet um, or your bank account and I'll show you where your priorities are. It's how you allocate time and money that shows what you actually value. And those decisions are most often made at the executive level, which is budget and like allocation of time and resources are often made at the executive level. I don't know that the, the you know there's a clear framework of how to sort of say yeah the executive now owns donor retention what does that mean um but I th- I I just think there needs to be more of a buy-in from leadership and you're right if if we were program people we would be saying man I wish leadership would just get programs more yeah and I wish they would just get research more because don't they know that everything we do is you know, if we don't do research, we can't do anything else. And um, I, I totally get that. Um, I just think revenue is the lifeblood of so many organizations that, that it should be considered as one of the like top three things that leadership should own. So devil's advocate here, Mike. Is that high donor retention ideal really the ideal? So could we not just adapt our business model to, yes, we're going to be attracting, hopefully, lots of donors. They're going to churn at a higher rate than in the past. And I can still make the advancement operation, you know, work financially for, for the nonprofit. Do you think that's possible? I might be misunderstanding you, but a lot of organizations work that way, where they're on the donor acquisition hamster wheel, very, very heavy on direct marketing, over-invested in direct marketing, do tons of acquisition, um, with the complete understanding that only a very small percentage of these people will actually stick with us. So they're in the business of fundraising and not donor raising, so to speak. Um, okay. That is possible. I much prefer your approach which is to build communities of purpose, uh, communities that gather, um, uh, ways that are very participatory, that identify leaders, that build deep community. I much prefer, you see, you, you see I've been paying attention to you, Lewis. I, uh, <laughs> I, I could talk about your model uh, very comfortably because um, I like it so much. So I much prefer that approach because um, I actually think the the like churn and burn model is is probably on its way out. Okay, well, I mean that's a little bit of what I was going at, you know, because there's also a judgment evaluation in this low donor retention is bad concept that is really what we're seeing all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think we, we should think of these things uh, rationally if we can. Okay, well, if that's the world we are, can we make it work? Um, it does seem to me that the things you do to make it work in that in that model kind of accelerate the, the like lead, they just lead you to a place, a point of no return. Right. Um, but it, it seems to be happening, right? So we see, honestly, a lot of just like excitement-driven 
philanthropy in at least in the press and maybe kind of in, in the popular conception of what philanthropy is like the airbnb thing ukraine now every you know m- millions of people go to uh, yeah. rent out a, a airbnb room um black lives the black lives matter movement um what's it's funny because people call it a movement but to me objectively all the signals are that it's an urgency emotionally driven moment that unless it's followed up with a whole lot of community building is going to be hard to sustain. No, you know, same with all, all the other things. And most, most, again, it also think, depends very much on the type of nonprofit you're thinking of when you say nonprofit, which many nonprofits that do have that total addressable market in the billions and, you know, the whole world, anybody who's interested in water could support us. Um, that's, one type of nonprofit, other nonprofits just have the people they kind of have. If you're, uh, you know, um, the kind of beneficiary model, right? You went to our school, you went to a concert, you came to the museum, mm-hmm. you went to this hospital. And those are the, they can't just send random letters to people. Yeah. Um, so in all of those cases, it does seem to me that donor that high donor retention model is is better but not always it doesn't necessarily have to be in fact there are organizations that have grown tremendously with a model focused on corporate and you know corporate support um cause marketing yeah yeah in fact there are there are studies out there that that have um in some way empirically proven that the most successful organizations actually kind of pick a lane um, they say we're only going to grow with government funding, and then they build their entire operations around being able to apply for those. Or they, or they are only going to grow through grants, or they're only going to grow through major giving, or they're only going to. And so, in in that case, it also depends what what kinds of donor types we're talking about, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. So, nuanced topic. Um, I, I think this was great to start thinking about it. Clearly, we don't have the answers, um, but we've got some questions. And uh, if anybody listening to this would like to be part of this conversation, as always, the uh, there's an invitation and the door is open. Awesome. Well, thanks, everybody, for spending some time with us thinking about these thorny issues. If you'd like to connect with Mike Dorkson, do that on LinkedIn, on buildgood.com or with his podcast um, to connect with me. LinkedIn is a good place too. And the site of the Donor Participation Project may have something that interests you. It's joindpp, one word, dot org. Hope to catch up with you soon. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Donor Growth Podcast, brought to you by the Donor Participation Project and buildgood.com. If you found today's episode helpful, please help us by sharing it with a friend, posting about it on LinkedIn, or giving it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, remember that donor growth is possible.